Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Worcester Talking Newspaper, recorded at Colin Chance House on Thursday the 14th of February. I'm Jenny Tansy and reading with me tonight are... Sue Perry, Hannah Green, Kate Hudman. Nigel Green is our engineer, Carol Hartley is working on the administration and this week's copying team are Bernard and Doreen Potter and Janet Bailey. Thanks to Worcester News for all our information. The headlines this week are No One's Home, Street, Pastors to Patrol Every Night, Yob Broke Kitten's Skull with Backhander, Dad Offered Up to £5,000 to Hurt His Son, Three Months to Save Oscar's Life, and Universal Credit Forced Me to Food Bank. I'll read the obituaries. Winifred Mary Beach, known as Wynne, passed away peacefully on the 28th of January, aged 90. Funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on February the 18th at 1pm. Brian John Bennett passed away peacefully at Royal Hospital, uh, sorry, at the Worcester Royal Hospital on January the 30th, aged 85. Funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on February the 18th at 12.15. Francis James Clark, known as Frank, Passed away peacefully in hospital on February the 8th, aged 87. Service of Thanksgiving will be held at Pershaw Abbey on February the 20th at 3pm. Keith Gormley sadly passed away on January the 25th. The funeral will take place at Worcester Crematorium on the 20th of February at 12.15. Derek Samuel Hall passed away at home on January the 28th, aged 84. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on February the 28th at, I'm sorry, was it the 28th? February the 20th at 11.30. Elise Rose Hunt, nay Aldrich, passed away peacefully on the 4th of February, age 92. The funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on February the 20th at 2.30. Simon Wheeler passed away at home on January the 21st, age 46. The funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on February the 25th at 2.30. Christina Margaret Woodhouse, nay Fox, known as Peggy, passed away peacefully on February the 2nd, age 91. The funeral and internment is at St Mary de Witch in Witchbold on the 20th of February at 12 midday. Joyce Helen Andrews passed away peacefully in hospital on January the 19th, age 97. The funeral is at St Peter's Church in Poick on February the 26th at 2.30. Cyril Hall passed away peacefully on February the 9th, age 92. No funeral details have been uh, stated as yet. Margaret Ellen Smith passed away at South Hayes Nursing Home on February the 1st, aged 89. The funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on February the 20th at 10am. Joan Doreen Allison Nay Craft, sorry, Craft passed away peacefully on January the 23rd, aged 89. The funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on February the 15th at 11.30. Peter Andrews passed away peacefully at home on January the 25th, aged 74. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on February the 15th at 3.15. Peter James Clark passed away at the Alexandra Hospital in Redditch on February the 5th. The funeral is at St. Peter, uh, sorry, at St. Philip with St. James Church in Whittington on February the 13th at 2.30. Janet Clifford passed away on January the 18th 
A memorial service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on February the 22nd at 1pm. Ernie Hunt passed away in Mowbray Nursing Home on January the 30th, aged 83. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on February the 19th at 2.30. Florence May, which is M-E-I-G-H, known as Floss, passed away on January the 25th, sorry, on January the 27th, aged 96. The funeral is on Friday the 25th at Tibetan Church at 3 p.m. Bernard Thomas Owen passed away at Norton Hall Nursing Home on January the 14th, aged 85. A service to celebrate his life will be held at Great Whitley Church on February the 15th at 10.30. Ivor William Owens passed away on January the 21st, aged 88. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on February the 18th at 11.30. Joseph Henry Lloyd passed away at St Richard's Hospice on February the 2nd, aged 89. The funeral service is at St Martin's Church, Holt, on February the 21st at 10.30. Barry Harold Smith died peacefully on January the 30th at Worcester Royal Hospital, aged 86. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on February the 21st at 1pm. Marjorie Smith passed away peacefully on February the 3rd, aged 94. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on February the 28th at 12.15. Our thoughts and prayers are with the families. And this is the thought for today, um, Act 13, verses 32 to 34. We tell you the good news, what, what God promised our ancestors, he has f- fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. And now I'll pass you to Sue for the first headline. And this headline is from Friday, February the 8th. No one's home. Owners of Worcester homes left empty for more than two years could soon have their council tax bill doubled to tackle the city's housing shortage. Worcester City Council wants to increase the amount it charges by 100% from April for homes that have been left empty for more than two years. The council currently charges an extra 50% on top of the normal council tax bills for homes which have been empty for more than two years. The government recently changed the law to help reduce the number of empty homes across the country and gave councils the power to raise council tax for those who have been unoccupied for more than two years. However, the decision on whether to apply the charges remains with the council, based on housing need and the number of long-term empty homes. There are currently 101 homes in Worcester which have been empty for more than two years, of which 21 have been empty for more than five years and 14 have been empty for more than a decade. Councillor Mark Bayliss, leader of the City Council, said... With the real need for extra housing in the city, I think this is good news and I am glad the government has taken further action in this regard. It sounds like a useful mechanism to bring houses into use. The other issue 
is that in my experience, these long-term empty and particularly these very long-term empty properties are also at risk of dereliction and they are a blight to the communities in which they're based. There is a real issue of encouraging owners who just board up properties and forget about them to actually do something about them. There is more than just a bit of money coming in from this and it will actually force the hand of some people to address those problem properties which can be a real problem. Councillor Joy Squires said the move was very welcome and would be an incentive for owners to finally do something with an empty property. The council said the increased charges would not be used to penalise homeowners who are battling to sell or rent out in a struggling housing market. Doubling council tax for empty homes would bring in an extra 68000 for the council if the number of empty homes remained the same, but the council reiterated its priority remains to cut the amount of long-term unoccupied homes. The City Council would keep around 11% of the money it brought in from the increased charges, with the rest divided between the County Council, the Fire Service and the Police. The change in law would also allow the Council to increase charges in the future by an extra 300% for homes empty for more than 10 years by 2021 and 200% for homes empty for more than 5 years by 2021. A final decision on the plan will be made when the full City Council meets on February the 19th. And on Saturday, February the 9th, the headline was Street Pastors to Patrol Every Night. Street Pastors plan to patrol the city street every night to keep students safe as one man came forward to tell his story of how he almost drowned in the river. His story has chilling similarities to that of 18-year-old student Tom Jones, whose body was found in the river a week after he went missing on his way home from a night out in the city centre. The man from St John's, who asked not to be named, has written a letter to Tom's parents to share his experience. In it, he says, one night after drinking heavily when he was also 18, he ended up in the river, in roughly the same spot Tom likely fell in around the north of the footbridge on the St John's side. He said he doesn't remember how he fell in, but does remember hauling myself out of the concrete riverbank in front of the rowing club around the bottom of the footbridge. The side he fell in was very steep and covered in brambles, while his clothes were wet and weighing him down, he remembered. He therefore decided to swim across the river to where the bank is lowered for boats, which he thought was a good idea at the time because he was a strong swimmer. Halfway across, the undercurrents are very strong, he continued. I made the split-second decisions to lose my jacket and I'm convinced that I would have drowned if I hadn't. I was able to make it to the other bank just I dragged myself out and lay on the steps, exhausted for an hour or more. He believes Tom may have attempted the same swim after stumbling into the river, but with a tragic end. Tom went missing on his way home from a night out in the city centre and was last seen on CCTV, walking near to the riverside in Hilton Road. 
His body was found in the Severn after a week-long search. A coroner gave an open verdict into his death, saying there was no way of knowing for sure what had happened to him, but the inquest into his death heard police believe he may have accidentally slipped into the river, possibly after going to investigate a cry for help. Retired Worcester Detective Chief Inspector Jerry Reeks Williams, who coordinates the street pasta patrols, has said the group wants to increase its patrols from just Saturday nights to seven days a week. He said the extra patrols would continue to focus on the city centre and include the riverside areas. The charity also wants to have extra volunteers out on the street during the busy student nights. Mr Reeks Williams said... We've had reports of people who live near the river reporting shouts from people in possible distress and we respond to any information working with other authorities such as the police. We'll continue to do everything we can to look after the vulnerable. Currently, a pool of 25 volunteers rotate to form a group of four who walk the streets. Each team member carries with them a small bag containing flip-flops, a thermal blanket and water to offer to anyone in need. The team also plays a big role in keeping an eye on Worcester's homeless population. Mr Reeks-Williams said, We know many of the homeless by name. We stop, have a chat and hand out food and drink. Pastors also help people who are incapable of getting home after drinking too much. Mr Reeks Williams added, We're not a taxi service, but we can link them up with friends, call them a taxi or provide someone to listen to them. Harley Hetherington, a close friend of Tom's and fellow University of Worcester student who launched the Fine Jonah Facebook page in the days after he went missing, praised the idea. It allows for a more relaxed night out because you're not worrying about getting home safely. It's the same with parents. I know my mum worries, he said. If people are on the streets looking out for us, it stops a lot of things happening. Particularly people that are new to the area, they won't necessarily be aware, aware of the dangerous spots and there's more chance of something happening if you're unfamiliar on a night out. Asked if the university has changed its approach to student safety since Tom's death, Harley said, It's the usual message. Stay with your mates. Look after each other. It's still great to be here doing my course. It's a great atmosphere. Harley was keen to put the tragic death of his lifelong friend into perspective. It's one of those incidents that you don't ever think will happen to you or someone you know but it's not like it's happening once a month. People are going on nights out all the time. Referring to the inquest in which senior coroner Geraint Williams cried as he gave his verdict, Harley said, I think it shows how much what happened affected everyone. Tom was very young. If it was an 80-year-old man, it may not have had the same impact, but this brought everyone together. Worcester Street Pastors belong to the Ascension Trust, the governing body of the pastors. 
They are funded by the police and crime commissioner and gain support from churches as well as individual donations from the public. The first group was founded in Brixton, London, in 2003 by Lee Isaac, and since then some 12,000 volunteers have been trained to work in towns and cities across the UK. Volunteers are welcome from people who have belonged to a Christian church for at least a year, are happy to undergo training and background checks, and are over the age of 18. Anyone who would like to be involved can visit the Trust's website at ascensiontrust.org.uk. The headline on Monday, February the 11th, Yob broke kitten's skull with backhander. A former City College student who caused fractures and what are believed to be burns to his pet kitten's head has been warned he could face prison. Joe Purvis, who previously attended the Heart of Worcestershire College, accepted a charge of causing unnecessary suffering to a protected animal when appearing before magistrates yesterday, which would have been on, uh, I presume, Friday of last week. The 24-year-old took his Maine Coon cat named Indico to a vet in November last year and it was found to have three fractures to its skull as well as marks to the top of its head. The defendant admitted he had given the 12-week-old cat a backhander in reaction to it biting him, which caused the fractures, the court heard. He claimed the marks on the cat's head were caused when the kitten hit its head on a tap while he was cleaning it after it had defecated on itself and him. However, the vet did not believe the marks, which they said appeared to be burns that were several days older than Purvis claimed and were consistent with the incident he described and raised the alarm with the RSPCA. Sarah Pratt, prosecuting, said the injury to the head was the size of a two-pence piece and there was fur missing from the area. The vet also said further clumps of hair came off on their fingertips during examination. The court heard that the case could, could become subject to a Newton hearing or trial of issue in which experts would be drafted in to determine how the secondary injury came about. However, Miss Penny defending say this may not be necessary due to the cost and the fact that both sides agree the initial injuries alone put the offence in the top end of its category. The solicitor said her client does not accept the marks were caused by a burn which was suggested in court to have potentially been caused by a cigarette or a few days before as the vet suggests. She said Purvis claims the cat came into contact with the tap in a way that it shouldn't have done after being startled by the water. Miss Penny said her client understands he could face a six-month custody sentence. Chair of the bench, Michael Williams, agreed that a Newton hearing was not necessary but did adjourn the sentencing for a pre-sentence for a pre-sentence report to be compiled by the probation service. How the injury was caused to the top of the head is a little bit immaterial. It is not significant to the sentencing, he said. The court had heard Purvis of William Tennant Way, Upton on 7, suffered from mental health problems and took medication, which Mr Williams said would need to be detailed in the report. The sentencing is set for 2pm on March the 22nd at Worcester Magistrates Court. 
Purvis was given bail with the condition that he does not have ownership or control of any animals. The headline for Tuesday, February the 12th. Dad offered up to £5,000 to hurt his son. An obsessed dad offered up to £5,000 to mark his three-year-old son and considered having him cut before he was attacked with acid, a court heard. The child's father broke down in tears during his third day in the witness box at Worcester Crown Court yesterday and will continue giving evidence for a fourth day today. The boy who screamed in pain suffered chemical burns to his forehead and left forearm when squirted with sulfuric acid at Home Bargains in Worcester at 2.16pm on July the 21st last year. The 40-year-old Afghan disputed claims he showed one of his alleged co-conspirators a badminton racket with an adapted handle concealing a blade produced from the boot of his car in the weeks before the attack. However, he admitted he lied to police in his interview. Lawrence Sorts, for alleged middleman Saeed Husseini, asked the father if he was obsessed with the family proceedings involving his children, and he replied yes. The court heard how a petition for divorce had already been served upon the dad on June the 13th last year. This was supposed to be the date of a final family court hearing to decide who should have custody of his children. However, the case was adjourned and both parties had to provide a schedule of eight allegations by June the 20th last year, with any reply to be provided by July the 17th. Miss Sort said this gave the father just four weeks to prove that she, his wife, was a bad mother, so he would be given custody. Miss Sort said the father had referred to a plan to mark the child and blame the mother. However, the father replied, I never said that. She also put it to him, you found somebody who could mark your child with a sharp object. This is not the truth, said the father. She said during a meeting on July the 5th last year that Husini said to the father, you cannot do such a thing, you cannot harm your own child. Miss Sort said that Husini had told the father, it's better that you lose custody than hurt your own child. The meeting ended with Mr. Husini saying to you that you must not hurt the child and he would think of another solution. The father said, First of all, I cannot harm my child because my child is my heart. And secondly, I have not discussed that with Mr. Husini. Miss Sorts also put it to the father that he had again mentioned harming one of his children on July the 9th last year after picking up her client before driving him to Wolverhampton and taking a detour to Worcester on the way there. You told him during that journey you had found somebody who could mark your child for £5,000, she said. Why would I mark my own child, he said. Miss Sort said, you went to the boot, didn't you? You got from the boot a badminton racket with a wooden handle, didn't you? No, said the dad. Hidden, you had adapted the handle of the racket to carry a blade at the bottom of it, she said. This is a complete lie. It's not true, replied the father. You said that was a weapon you were going to give to the man to mark your child, didn't you, said Miss Sorts. What do you mean, mark my own child, said the father. You told him you only had that week in which to harm one of your children, didn't you, said Miss Sorts. She also said that Husini had given the father alternative options on July the 9th and 10th last year and that there was a better option than cutting the child. 
The other was a person would do the work for £3,000. But the father said he had never discussed it and denied meeting Norbert Polko on July the 10th last year. Polko, Adam Ketch and Jan Doody are the three men captured on CCTV in home bargains on July the 21st last year. But the father said, I have never met with Polko. She put it to him, Mr. Polko said a better option was using acid to mark the child. If I did not know Mr. Polko, I never discussed that, said the dad, and denied that he had agreed to pay £3,000. The father denied supplying Jabba Paktia and Polka with acid, or that he had seen them tested upon themselves in his home. The people in the room asked you to test the acid on yourself and you said you wouldn't because if there were any suspicious f- sorry if there was any suspicion following an injury to the child then the police would come looking for you said Miss Sorts. The father said this had not happened in his house and added I have never seen a test I do not know what you're talking about. Jonathan Rees QC prosecuting asked the father if he had given anyone any reason to think he wanted his child to be burned. He also asked him what he would have done if somebody came up to him and said they had burnt his son with acid and asked for money. I would not give them any money. I would inform police, he said. Mr. Reese said the father had something to gain from his son being burnt. Do you agree you are a man prepared to lie when it suits you, said Mr. Reese. The father said he had not known whether to say yes or no in the police interview, that he had been very nervous. Mr. Reese told... Sorry, Mr. Reese told he had lied to police about going to Birmingham on July the 21st last year, and he had lied when he denied going to Worcester on that day. Yes, said the dad to both questions. The father denies conspiracy to apply a corrosive fluid with intent. The other six defendants all deny the same charges. They are Adam Ketch, age 27, of Farnham Road, Birmingham, Jan Doody, 25, of Cranbrook Road, Birmingham, Jabba Paktia, 42, of New Hampton Road, Wolverhampton, Norbert Palco, age 22, of Sutherland Road, London, Said Husini, 42, of Rottersley Road in London, and Martina Badiova, 22, of Newcombe Road in Birmingham. The trial continues. And this headline is from Wednesday, February the 13th. Three months to save Oscar's life. The parents of a little boy with an aggressive form of leukaemia have been told they have only three months to find their son a life-saving stem cell transplant. Oscar Saxelby Lee, who has only just turned five, has already endured four weeks of intensive chemotherapy and more than 20 blood transfusions, but doctors say his illness is now so aggressive that a donor must be found, and fast. His parents, Olivia Saxelby and Jamie Lee, have launched a desperate appeal for someone to save him. They want as many people as possible to sign up to a blood stem cell donor register as part of a campaign called Hand in Hand for Oscar, while staff at Oscar's primary school have vowed to help by hosting a special screening event that is open to all. Olivia said, 
They say everything can change in a blink of an eye. That undoubtedly is a quote so very true. She described being given the heartbreaking news that Oscar will need a stem cell transplant by doctors at Birmingham Children's Hospital, saying, We broke completely. We shed tear after tear. We fell into each other's arms, damaged and inconsolable. We felt like we could not see the light at the end of the tunnel. But when looking at Oscar's cheeky smile, bravery and determination, we managed to pull our strength together again. From that moment of fear and confusion, we as a family became stronger than ever. Oscar reminded us how to fight again and just how courageous he is. Not once has he shown weakness, nor has he ceased to amaze us throughout the most difficult times, and that to us is a true warrior. She added, Oscar is a fun-loving, energetic five-year-old boy who deserves to live to the full alongside the other troopers fighting such horrific diseases. Not only does he need to enjoy a normal life, a child should live, he now needs someone else to save him. Oscar and his family, who live in St John's, Worcester, are being supported by staff and parents at Pitmaston Primary School, where Oscar is a pupil. Head teacher Kate Wilcox said, Oscar is a really happy little boy. He started school with us in reception last September. He is described by many as a little gentleman and he's a really, really popular member of his class who is really missed. He had not had any time off. He was a really healthy, happy boy. It's such a shock. He had the last day of the autumn term off as he didn't feel 100% and then what alerted the family was the bruising that was happening very easily to him. They followed that through with the GP and on December the 28th he was diagnosed with T-cell acute lymphoblastic leukaemia and he was sent straight to Birmingham Children's Hospital. He has been having very intensive chemotherapy but unfortunately, four weeks later, they've been told that he needs a stem cell transplant. The leukaemia is too aggressive to be treated with just chemotherapy. She added, We feel shock and sadness for his family. As a head teacher, you go through this feeling of utter helplessness to what we can do to support the family and this little boy. Though we've set up a fundraising page, we all know the crucial thing is we find Oscar a donor. What I want to do at school is to get as many people as we can to come to a DKMS blood cell donor registration event. We will open up our school in Malvern Road for the whole weekend of Saturday, March the 2nd and Sunday, March the 3rd from 9am to 3pm. We are asking anyone to come, bring family members and friends, anyone between 17 and 55 years of age and in general good health. It's a really simple process. <clears throat> come into school, fill in the registration forms and we will help you do that. Then give a sample in the form of a mouth swab which is sent off to see if anyone is eligible or a match. This isn't just about Oscar. Someone might be a match for someone else waiting for a transplant too. Mrs Wilcock added that although you can register online and request a swabbing kit, these can take up to eight weeks to arrive, whereas anyone registering at the school's event can be tested on the spot. 
The event will be run by charity DKMS. To register online, visit https www.dkms.org.uk N. Register now. To support Oscar and his family, visit https slash www.just slash giving.com Crowdfunding hand in hand for Oscar Saxelby Lee. Thousands of pounds have already been raised to support the family of Oscar. A crowdfunding campaign was launched to help five-year-old Oscar after it was revealed that he urgently needs a blood stem cell transfusion. Pitmaston Primary School, where Oscar is a pupil, set up the appeal to raise £5,000 and has smashed its target within a few days. The money will be used to support Oscar's family for whatever they need to help their son. The parents from St John's Worcester have been keeping a vigil by his bedside at Birmingham Children's Hospital. They are currently staying at hospital accommodation provided by charity Ronald MacDonald House but have no idea what the future holds. Pitmaston's head teacher Kate Wilcox said, We set the target of £5,000 and within an hour of the page being open there was an overwhelming response from parents and our community. It is just pinging up and up. Mrs Wilcox said Mr Lee had visited the school after being given the news that Oscar needed a transplant. She said it was just pure shock and disbelief that was really clear seeing him. As a family unit, they are talking about how it's made them stronger. Oscar has been really brave. His mum has been carrying, caring sorry for him. There's a lot of medication involved, keeping herself busy in wanting to support this process of trying to find a donor. And tonight's headline on Friday, uh, sorry, on February 14th, it was Universal Credit Forced Me to Food Bank. An unemployed warehouse manager said he had to go cap in hand to the city's food bank because of delays receiving Universal Credit. Worcester Food Bank claims the number of people using the facility has shot up by over 20% since last year due to the introduction of Universal Credit in October. The Food Bank fed 2,191 people from November 2018 to January 2019 compared to 1,771 people over the same period in 2017-18. Will Stoddart of Bransford Road, Worcester, found that his first universal credit payment was less than half of what he should have been. Mr Stoddart, whose wife is also unemployed, said, I'm overdrawn at the moment by £9.64. We just don't have the money. I had to go to the Citizens Advice Bureau twice in January to get vouchers for the food bank. I never thought I'd have to go to a food bank cap in hand to get food to last us until we got paid. I think part of the increase in food bank usage is due to the way universal credit is being rolled out. I don't think anyone has looked at the assessment period and seen how much hardship it causes people. Universal credit looks good, but it doesn't work. It's making the people that need the system more vulnerable 
to the point where they have to use food banks. Mr Stoddart also used the food bank over the Christmas period. He claims he applied for universal credit on December 12th and had to wait until December 20th for his first appointment. The 50-year-old managed to secure an advance payment to tide him over during Christmas. However, he later found that £274 would would be taken off his first payment, which he received on January 18th. Part of this amount was deducted because his wages and holiday pay entered his bank account a few days after he applied for universal credit. The former warehouse manager said he was left with £342, which was supposed to last him until February 18th. This money was meant to cover his rent, food, electricity and more. However, he only had £230 remaining after partially paying his rent. He added that he does not expect things to get easier as he is expecting to receive just £316 in his next payment. Mr Stoddard applauded Amber Rudd, the Secretary of State for Work and Pensions, for recently admitting that the increase in food bank usage is partly down to universal credit. Worcester Food Bank Manager Graham Lucas said, Universal credit is proving such a barrier for people in many different ways. All we can do is help them with food and make sure they are able to feed themselves. There's not a lot else that can be done short of the benefit system being amended. The system is in despair. Those who are most vulnerable are suffering. He added that benefit claimants normally have to wait between five and seven weeks for their universal credit applications to be processed. A spokesman for the Department for Work and Pensions said, We have made improvements to get people on universal credit faster, faster access to money. The reasons for people using food banks are complex and it would be wrong to link a rise to any one cause. And now some of the stories you may be interested in. The number of children who are being homeschooled in the county has shot up by 148%. Council figures show that 163 of the 712 Worcestershire children currently being taught at home have special educational needs. There were only 287 children being homeschooled across the county in 2014. Lindsay Cherry of Haynes Avenue, Worcester, who home-educated her autistic son, Joshua, said the experience almost resulted in having a nervous breakdown. She said, it's not surprising that the figure has gone up. I think it's increased because the area has grown so much, there's so many more houses and the schools haven't grown at the same rate. I think, think the demand is so great they can't keep up with special needs because it's so time-consuming. They have 30 children in a class. If one is acting up, what's the teacher supposed to do? I can see how it happens, but it's not right. Mrs Cherry, who took her son out of Lippard Grange Primary School, thinks the number of homeschooled children is higher than the official figure because many youngsters are not registered with the council. She also believes there are more than 168 youngsters with special needs being taught at home due to how difficult it is to secure a diagnosis. 
the 47-year-old mum, who works as a part-time x-ray assistant, taught her son, now aged 13, at home after removing him from school. After three months, Joshua joined a new school for around an hour a day while his mum continued teaching him at home. He was eventually diagnosed with autism, aged nine, after a six-year battle to secure a diagnosis and now has an education, health and care plan enabling him to study at a special needs school. Marcus Hart, County Cabinet Member for Education and Skills, said, We're committed to ensuring children across the county have access to a good quality education which meets their individual needs and circumstances. We as the local authority have a duty to identify children who are residing in its area who may not be in receipt of a suitable education. It is important that we continue to thoroughly explore all reasons why children transfer from mainstream schools into homeschooling or between schools and incorporate these into our actions going forward. Takeaway owner has questioned why city fast food outlets are allowed to open late but a plan to open his chicken shop until 5am was rejected, was rejected by the council. An application to allow Kay's Chicken in the Cross to open until the early hours was dismissed by Worcester City Council's licensing committee over fears it would add further to crime and disorder in the city centre. Police had already objected to the plan, saying it had serious concerns over the original application because it showed no signs of addressing any of the licensing objectives and had shown no consideration for safeguarding. Following the decision, owner Khalid Mahmood questioned why other takeaways in and around the cross, particularly Shakey's and McDonald's and Subway's, were allowed to remain open until the early hours, but his takeaway was not. Mr Mahmood also said he was shocked to find out that the premises licensed for Chick's Chicken which occupied the same building in the cross last year, had been allowed to trade until the early hours without a premises licence from November 2016 and questioned why that had not been investigated. With the licence running out in 2016, it also meant Kays was selling chicken without a proper premises licence. At a meeting of the City Council's licensing committee on Monday, February the 11th, Councillor Louise Griffiths, chairman of the licensing committee, told Kays it would be granted a license to open until midnight every night, but a bouncer would have to be on the door on Thursday, Friday and Saturday nights until the takeaway had closed. Staff would also have to undergo safeguarding training if they had not already done so. Police, public health bosses at Worcestershire County Council and Worcester Municipal Charities all objected to the application. Sergeant Paul Smith of the South Worcestershire Licensing Team said allowing a takeaway to open late in the part of the city centre where crime was increasing would attract more crime and disorder, particularly alcohol-related violence, antisocial behaviour and would stretch the police's resources further. Sergeant Smith said, With the resources we have, we can only go to one or two places at once and when we keep getting more and more food places, we cannot be at four or five places at once. These types of incidents don't happen one at a time, unfortunately. They come in three or four, because it can be that incidents move. 
The more fast food places we have, the more incidents we get of crime and disorder. An inquest heard that a local man described as a Dell Boy character by his widow died from a brain hemorrhage after a GP and paramedic repeatedly dismissed his symptoms as depression. Jane Jones has paid tribute to her husband Colin and hit out <coughs> at a Worcestershire Royal Hospital for the way he was treated on the day of his death. <coughs> the father of three died, aged 54, on Christmas Eve 2007, after a string of delays. Mrs Jones, who works at Flowers of Worcester, said Colin was a big character who loved his friends as much as he loved his family. She added everyone knew him for his laugh. He was a little bit of a Dell Boy character. He was a professional footballer. He played for West Bromwich Albion's second team as a young man. He ended up becoming a flower seller. His parents were florists. Mr Jones died just weeks after going to his GP, complaining of feeling unwell. He was diagnosed with depression and prescribed diazepam. However, he was taken to hospital on Christmas Eve. On December the 22nd, his wife Jane, 55, noticed his face was drooping and dialed 999 and an ambulance was sent to their home in Bromsgrove. Giving evidence at Worcestershire Coroner's Court, she said, I had spotted a droop in his face and the ambulance was called. He was holding his head in pain. Paramedics were asking him questions, but he was really confused. They were happy with how he was and thought he had taken too many tablets and he had a headache. <coughs> the next morning she was so worried she dialed 999 again and her husband was taken on blue lights to Worcestershire Royal. Mrs Jones said, We were in the ambulance and the paramedic was looking after him and phoned for recess and I thanked them for listening to me. I remember the paramedic saying, Where are the recess team? but someone said no, just put him over there. I thought he was going to die. A young man had come over in a pale blue outfit. He said, we're all very busy. He said we were in a queue and Colin had to wait his turn. Colin was sick a few times and then he stopped breathing. I witnessed CPR beginning on him and we were ushered into another room. A consultant came in and said Colin was on oxygen. This was around 10am. They had found a 10 centimetre bleed on his brain and I was just asking, was he dead? Eventually somebody told us they've agreed to transfer him to the Coventry Specialist Neurology Department at University Hospital, Coventry. Mr Jones was admitted at 5pm but was in, in a critical condition. The inquest continues. NHS bosses have come under fire for allowing donations to the county's major hospitals to be spent on retirement presents and parties for staff. Peter Pinfield, chairman of Health Watch Worcestershire, said the practice was wrong and welcomed the news that it was ending. Over the last four years, at least £35,000 has been spent on presents and parties for long-serving hospital employees that were leaving their jobs, according to the BBC. Mr Pinfield told the Worcester News, People are quite concerned that charity money can be used in that way. It's allowed, but it's whether it's morally right. 
The money has also been spent on gifts. Now, I don't think the public would be very supportive of using charitable money in that way. Mr. Pinfield said many people bequeathed money to the Worcestershire Acute Hospitals charity in their wills. The Trust has a charitable fund which meets twice a year to make sure the donations from patients and others are managed and spent in the best way. The committee decided it was wrong to use charitable funds on retirement gifts at a meeting on December the 4th. Matthew Hopkins, Chief Executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, added, It is important for us to recognise the valuable contribution made to patient care by all our staff and particularly those who have given many years of dedicated service to the NHS. As a public body, we also have a duty to ensure that the funding we receive directly and the generous donations we receive from patients, carers and supporters is spent wisely. As part of that, we were asked by our Charitable Funds Committee to review the contributions made towards retirement gifts for staff. The fund will cease to pay retirement gifts when the current policy expires at the end of March. Pupils are celebrating after winning a competition to name a new home's location opposite their Worcestershire school. Children aged from 4 to 12 take part, took part in the Bovis Homes competition at St Barnabas CE First and Middle School to name a new development in Drake's Broughton. Pupils carried out extensive research into the area and into the challenges and benefits that house building brings to a community before coming up with a wide variety of names. Following a tough judging process, Class 5AH won the challenge, naming the house builder's site in Worcester Road as Pear Tree Walk in reference to the area's link to the fruit. They were delighted to see the new signage when Bovis Homes representatives visited the school. Teacher Mr Hiron said 5AH could now not wait to watch the development take shape over the road from the school. He said naming a new housing development is not an opportunity that comes up very often, so when the chance arose the class were very keen to be involved. One of his pupils, Jared, added, The class cheered as we found out that our name was chosen. It was fun to come up with all of these names and it was very exciting to win the competition. The whole school was included in the competition and each class sent acting head teacher Stephen Berth a short list of names. Mr Booth said, We were so impressed with the names our pupils came up with and want to thank Bovis Holmes for encouraging them to get so involved in this project. The children thoroughly involved themselves in the naming process, even going away to do their independent research on pear trees and the history of Drake's Broughton and Pershaw. An historic viewpoint on the outskirts of the city will be moved after the completion of major roadworks. The Ketch Viewpoint car park shut yesterday in order for vegetation clearance work to take place along the A. 4440 Worcester Southern Link Road. Worcester County Council is cutting down trees ahead of the construction of the new bridge over the River Severn. During the, cl- sorry, during the clearance work, the Ketch Viewpoint car park will be used to collect and recycle the chippings, 
which will be transported off-site and used as sustainable biomass. The viewing platform will also be temporarily removed during the closure and later reinserted, reinserted in a slightly different location. The viewpoint overlooks the southern end of the city, including the cathedral and the river meadows, where part of the Battle of Worcester were fought, and also offers views of the Malvern Hills. Recently, police issued a warning over nitrous oxide cartridges and balloons that were found in the viewpoint car park. A local sergeant warned that it was extremely dangerous to inhale nitrous oxide, also known as hippie crack. The viewpoint car park will remain closed for the rest of the main Southern Link Road construction works and will be used for a variety of functions, such as the storage of equipment. Worcestershire County Council restored the new the viewpoint in 2015 after overgrown trees obscured the view of where soldiers fought in the Battle of Worcester in 1651. And now we've um, got some sport. This is um, a rugby union article about um, a chap called um, Wynard Olivia. Vastly experienced centre, Wynand Olivia said he would consider a coaching role at Worcester Warriors as he weighs up whether to hang up his boots this summer. The former South Africa international, who turns 36 in June, is out of contract at the end of the season and revealed he would make a decision over his future within the next couple of weeks. Since joining Warriors from Montpellier in October 2015, Olivia has chalked up more than 50 appearances in blue and gold. But the 2007 Rugby World Cup winner missed most of last season due to a hamstring injury which required surgery and has slipped down the pecking order. Olivia has not featured in the Gallagher Premiership this this term but captained the side against Saracens in the Premiership Cup semi-final last week. The body still feels fairly good, says Olivia, after playing the full 80 minutes in the 38-22 defeat to Saris. It is nice to push the younger boys and play games. I have always said that if I can make a difference, I will continue playing. If I can't and younger boys are coming through, then that's probably time to call it a day. I will sit down, speak to Solly... Alan Solomons, director of rugby, about it and obviously have a good think about what I want to do in the future. I will have a chat to my family and see what they want to do as well. Alan and I have got a good relationship. We are quite open about what is going on or what can or can't be done. But I am now 36 and at the end of a season, so I am not that young anymore. Olivia said he was enjoying passing on tips to academy centres Will Butler and Ollie Lawrence and did not rule out the possibility of becoming a coach in the future. Asked whether he would consider a coaching role at the club, Olivia said, maybe, I have not really considered that. It is nice to work with the young boys and see them come through. I have worked with Will quite a bit over the last couple of seasons and Ollie as well. Even the senior guys like Francois Vontaire and Ryan Mills as we chat about things and share different ideas. I really enjoy it, so if something comes up I will consider it, but only time will tell.
Olivia has won 38 caps for the Springboks, played for the Barbarians and tasted both Super Rugby and Curry Cup success with South Africa-based franchise Bulls. The 35-year-old said he wanted to concentrate on keeping second from bottom Warriors in the Gallagher Premiership. There are a lot of big decisions to be made over the next couple of months, Olivia said. In all honesty, I have not given my future as much thought as I probably should. The main focus over the next two weeks is the Premiership, so it is in the back of my mind. Obviously, a lot of players say you don't stop playing because you have got to. I don't want to be in that situation. If I can step away from the game whenever, then I need to be fairly happy with what I have done. If I can't make a difference anymore, then that's probably time for me to say goodbye. I will sit down over the next two months and make a decision on the future. And this article also about rugby is the continuation to what Sue has just been reading about. Um, The director of rugby, Alan Solomons, is planning to turn to Worcester Warriors' homegrown talent to provide competition with three senior locks next season. Solomon has backed Academy Products Andrew Kitchener, 22, Justin Clegg, 22, and James Scott, 19, to step up and challenge for a first-team spot in the 2019-20 campaign. But with Graham Kitchener, 29, who is due to arrive from Leicester Tigers this summer, Anton Bresler, 30, and Michael Fatjolofa, 26, The only experienced second rows contracted for next term, Solomon's pledge to give youth a chance, casts doubt over the futures of Pierce Phillips, 26, and Darren Barry, 29. The duo's current deals are due to expire at the end of this term, with Phillips linked with a move to top 14 outfit Agen. Andrew has already made the step up to the first team and will be challenging, Solomon said. Hopefully, Cleggy will overcome his problems as he's had a stress fracture to his back, so he'll be there and young James is coming through the academy. Next season, we will have three senior locks and three good youngsters. I have said to you before that the academy is very important. It has been key to our re-signings, so I'm really happy that we've kept all our young guys here. Andrew Kitchener, Clegg and Scott have represented England at under-20 level and played for Worcester this season. Birmingham-born Clegg, an ex-Bromsgrove student, May ex-Bromsgrove School student made his Warriors debut in an Anglo-Welsh Cup clash with Bristol in November 2016 and was promoted to the senior squad last summer. Scott, who previously studied at Bishop's Bluecoat High School in Hereford before moving to Malvern College, made his Warriors bow in November last year when he came off the bench in the Premiership Cup defeat at Saracens. We are talking about boys that have played for England under-20s, so have got some really good forwards here, Solomon said. Those senior academy boys are with us all the time. I regard them as being part of the first-team squad. Solomon's also believes Kitchener will benefit from having his older brother Graham, who is also an academy graduate, 
back at Warriors. The 22-year-old, who joined Worcester's youth setup in 2014, has made 28 appearances for Warriors over the past three seasons, with 10 of those coming this term. But he has remained in the academy while he completes a degree in economics at the University of Birmingham. He will also have his degree pretty much wrapped up soon, Solomon said. Last year it was difficult for him as he was a full-time student but still played some good rugby for us. He picked up an injury to his knee but hopefully within the next two or three weeks he'll be back on the pitch. He's a really talented young player. Shrewsbury-born Kitchener stands at six foot seven inches and Solomons is confident he will fill out as he continues to build up his strengths. Andrew is a young guy and we will work on his conditioning, Solomons added. He's going to be a big boy. I think he can play either four or five, to be honest. He's highly intelligent, so we'll have no difficulty calling the line-outs. He was charged with that responsibility last year when we played the Dragons in an Anglo-Welsh Cup game, and he did very well. And now an article from Worcestershire County Cricket Club. First team coach Alex Gidman says Worcestershire will be as prepared as we possibly can be for every game during the 2019 season. Gidman stressed the importance of consistency as the county looked to, take, to try to regain their Specsavers County Championship Division 1 spot at the first attempt in addition to challenging for more white ball glory. The ex-Gloucestershire captain and assistant bowling coach Alan Richardson hoped to repeat the success in the four-day game they achieved last summer in the Vitality Blast. They are also aware of being ready for a new-look start to the season with the Royal London One Day Cup taking centre stage after an initial round of championship cricket. Gidman said, The beauty of our championship cricket is that the the teams who get promoted deserve it over the course of the year. It is like winning the Premier League in football. You need to perform consistently over a season to stand a chance of success. Naturally, anyone would say getting off to a good start is going to help, and the old adage of getting points on the board is no different in cricket. However, you can never predict what is going to happen in our game. This year is slightly different with the World Cup and the Ashes. I think we only play one championship game and the university game before the Royal London One Day Cup. It's going to be a bit of a tricky one because it won't really feel as if the season has got going in terms of red ball cricket until mid-May or end of May, which is extremely late. All I can say is, and I mean this, is that we will practice and be as prepared as we possibly can be for every game of cricket, whether it is a red ball or white ball, and we will be trying our utmost to compete and give ourselves a really good chance of achieving our goals. Gidman says the pre-season trip to Abu Dhabi will take on even more significance than usual, given the weight of one-day cup fixtures so early in the campaign. He said, it really is important, even more so with the white ball competition starting so early. If teams aren't careful, one of our three competitors could be over before you shake a leg. If you don't start that competition well, it could be finished and a third of your season will be gone before the end of April, which is unheard of. 
It is going to be an important tour and we will make the most of it and use it to the best that we can. Gidman is aware of the need to strike the balance between the boss as first team coach, spending and enjoying time with the players and giving them their own space. He said, I started to learn that when I was captain at Gloucestershire. You have to learn how to distance yourself when you are a captain. I actually think as a coach it is even more straightforward. I left behind being a I left being a player behind while I and behind a while back now. I'm sorry about that. I don't miss playing at all. I am now a coach and it is as simple as that. I think it is cons- cons- oh, sorry. <laughs> I think it is constantly an art of keeping that distance and knowing when to. I will make mistakes but hopefully I will get it right most of the time. It is important you enjoy time with the lads, but they also need space, as do I, as does Alan as well, and I think we will get that right most of the time. Adam Finch took two wickets at England Young Lions, lost by eight wickets in the first test to Bangladesh under-19s in Chittagong. The Worcestershire paceman struck with the fifth ball of Bangladesh's second innings when bowling over Tanzid Hassan for naught. Finch was given just the two overs as Bangladesh quickly reached their modest 40 target in the two-test series opener. He ended with figures of 1-6 and six and an overall match analysis of 22-3 to 6-63-2 to to in a spin-friendly conditions. Young Lions were bowled out for 152 in the second innings with Finch lasting 31 balls in his score of 4. And this is a story of the oldest chemist in Worcester. So far during his ownership of what is arguably Worcester's oldest business, pharmacist Amo Sohal hasn't been asked for a remedy containing a syrup of fox's lung. But should a customer request one, Amo might be able to pop out the back and oblige. Because in the files of Kitson's chemists in Broad Street, there lies, or certainly did at one time, a potion using that very ingredient. What it cured was anyone's guess, but a starter for ten might be sore throats in foxes. The next question could be, where do you put oil of swallow's tongue? Answers on a postcard to that. But it was also an ancient antidote for something as featured in the shop's archives. Kitson's was founded in 1749 and has been kicking around Broad Street at several addresses for well over 100 years. It recently made headlines in this newspaper when its current owner drew attention to the problem pharmacists encounter struggling with in the very 21st century conundrum of Brexit. Taking over a business with roots running so deep has been an eye-opener especially when it comes to a rummage around the storerooms of the property, which lie both above and below the street level. On an old shelf stood dusty jars of frankincense and myrrh. We are just waiting for the gold to arrive, Amo announced, then we'll be ready for the Three Kings. In the old days, Kitsons did considerable trade with the farming community, and hidden away there are still sachets of Kitsons' constitutional powders for horses, colts and foals, along with warfarin concentrate guaranteed to bring certain death to rats and mice. There are also aged-looking insomnia tablets for humans, not animals. The owner of the business for many years was a gentleman by the name of Ray Shaw, 
now sadly long gone. But back in the 1960s, he related a tale of a constable in Worcester City Police who was a regular purchaser of frankincense, which was actually sold to him in gum form. The entrepreneurial PC would then take the gum, roll it into little balls and sell it to his colleagues as his own personal cure for backache. At the time, the shop also shifted a lot of powder of Irish slate. Apparently, it was good for stomach disorders. Another service the old-time chemist offered was to make up recipes and concoctions for customers, especially those living in the countryside. Ginger wine essence was a favourite, and there were a lot of cures, drinks and potions made up with wild flowers and herbs. Encouraging that today would probably save the NHS a bob or two. Especially so considering that since then the major drug companies have embarked on a course of producing cures from the science laboratories. Dandelion leaves and nettle stems don't come much into their thinking today. Maybe we could see a return to the sale of salicin, which Kitson's once retailed as it was the established cure for headaches before aspirin came along. As proprietor of Kitson's Chemists in the in its 20, sorry, 270th year, Amo Sohal does feel a certain weight of responsibility on his shoulders. I don't, be the, I don't want to be the one in charge if the wheels fall off, he said. There's not much danger of that because folk do like a chat with an independent family-run business. Just don't go asking for a tin of concentrated arsenic for your sheep dip. They ran out of that 60 years ago. Hundreds of glowing lanterns helped light up Parkland in memory of loved ones at a hospice walk. The St Richard's Hospice Lantern Walk took place on Saturday, February the 9th at the National Trust's Croom near Worcester. Nearly 400 people took part, carrying lanterns through the parkland on a 1.5-mile walk and helping to raise around £12,000 for the hospice. Kelly Johns, hospice fundraiser, said, This was such a special event, we were quite overwhelmed by the kindness and support from those taking part. It was so moving to see people walking in memory of loved ones and taking time to reflect on and celebrate special memories. We are delighted to have raised so much for St Richard's too. The funds will help us to continue caring for patients, loved ones and bereaved people in the future. During the walk, guests left written messages and photos remembering their loved ones on the memory board, while Croom's on-site church was available for those who wished to light a candle in memory of someone special. There was also music from the Vox Rocks Choir, while stand-up paddleboarders from Bonkers Activities created a light display on the lake. To find out more about future hospice events, visit www.strichards.org.uk slash events. St Richard's Hospice cares for adults with a serious progressive illness, improving their quality of life from diagnosis, during treatment and to their last days. It also supports their loved ones. Each year, the hospice team supports more than 3,000 patients, family members and bereaved people in Worcestershire. St Richard's is an independent charity and relies on donations for three quarters of its annual £8.8 million income with the remainder from the NHS. 
The hospice is also raising funds for the Build 2020 appeal and is partway through developing a bigger hospice, enabling more patients and families to be cared for in Worcestershire. The total cost for expanding and redeveloping the existing building in Wildwood Drive, Worcester is £5.3 million. For more information, visit strichards.org.uk. Mothers in Worcestershire say maternity care in the area is among the best in the country, according to a new survey. The survey commissioned by the Care Quality Commission, CQC, asked more than 17,000 women around the country a series of questions about the care they received before, during and after birth and aspects of care in the county ranked favourably against other regions in 13 of the 19 questions asked. Worcestershire Acute NHS Trust achieved its highest rankings in partner engagement and involvement and length of stay in hospital following births. It also received positive feedback in confidence and trust in staff, clear communication and information, the promotion of patient choice during labour and the kindness and understanding of staff. Becky Williams, Interim Divisional Director of Operations for Women and Children's Services at the Trust, said, We're delighted that our patients feel listened to and feel confident in our care. Our maternity teams work extremely hard to give ladies and their families the best possible patient experience, which is demonstrated in these results. We're constantly looking for new ways to make improvements to our service by listening to and acting on feedback. We have recently launched our Continuity of Carer pilot, which we are anticipating will further improve the maternity journey for women in our care, as it aims to ensure that more women see their named midwife or a midwife from a small team before, during and after birth. The survey was conducted by by interviewing women who had given birth in January and February 2018 and data collection was done between April and August that year. The findings of the study are being used by the NHS to influence future future improvements and decision-making in hospitals throughout the country. 129 NHS trusts were asked for their feedback in the study provided. They had at least 300 live births per year. Also included was the finding that the average age of mothers across the country has increased, with more women over the age of 30 giving birth year on year, with the majority of respondents, 71%, being over the age of 30. A farmer who became upset when driving his lambs to an abattoir decided to drive the flock to a Kidderminster animal sanctuary instead. Devon farmer Sibilangam Kumar, 60, was travelling to the slaughterhouse where he was due to make nearly £10,000 from the animals but says he was overcome with emotion and had a change of heart on the way. The farmer, known as Kumar, drove 200 miles from Cornworthy in Devon to Goodhart Animal Sanctuaries in Kidderminster to find them a new happy home. Kumar has been a farmer for 47 years after starting on his parents' dairy farm in Sri Lanka, but said he has now changed his whole outlook. He said, the main reason was because I didn't like them being killed. 
I've always taken my animals to slaughter and killed the pork myself. I'm not ignorant to how farming works, but it always made me stressed. It would stress the animals too. They knew their fate. They would try to hide in the back of the trailer and wouldn't want to come out. I would have to push them out. It was very stressful for me and for the animals. He added, For the last three months I was getting a batch ready to go and I decided I couldn't do it anymore. It took me a while to make this decision. There was nothing special about this particular batch. I just couldn't do it anymore. Kumar says the, his attitude towards animals in the agricultural trade was different in his home country. He added, in Sri Lanka, my parents ran a dairy farm and all the animals were our pets. They provided our livelihood, but they were still pets to us. I used to eat lamb, but not anymore. I'm a vegetarian now. I'll still be farming, but I'll grow vegetables. Residents of Rushwick have voiced their opposition to a proposal to build some 130 new homes in the village. Worcester-based Lion Court Homes held a meeting in the village hall on Friday night to tell residents about its scheme to develop land behind the Whitehall Inn on Bransford Road. And they presented the firm with a petition signed by, sorry, by 617 residents opposing the Lion Court's proposal and further large-scale development in Rushwick. Abigail Tilling, one of the residents, said, Given the high number of resident, residents who have signed the petition, we stated that the majority of the village will strongly resist this type of development. Residents were encouraged by reading an article in the Worcester News in January where Lion Court Homes are quoted as saying, our approach is to seek to work with the community in developing our plans so that the proposals meet the local community's wishes and needs as far as possible. Lion Court was seeking community feedback with the residents of Rushwick have responded with a very clear no. Residents of Rushwick have now had five years of fighting continual threats of development and total chaos and disruption from various building sites around the village. They have finally had enough. Last year, a planning application to build 106 homes off Bransford Road was rejected by Malvern Hills District Council planners, who deemed it an overly dense form of development that would fail to respect its rural-urban fringe location, adding, the layout, spacing and design of the housing would fail to reflect the more organic and spacious village aesthetic of the Rushwick settlement or adequately provide for the accommodation needs of older people within the district. Jeremy Corbyn called for more money for the City Council to pay for accommodation for homeless people during a visit to Worcester last week. The Labour leader discussed benefit and housing issues with volunteers and staff at Worcester Citizens Advice Bureau. Speaking about the spike in rough sleeping in Worcester, Mr Corbyn said, What we need immediately is sufficient funds for local authorities to be able to buy places for emergency accommodation for rough sleepers and secondly to enable them to build sufficient council housing so there's move-on accommodation. The problem is that hostel accommodation becomes full very, very quickly and there's nowhere for clients to move on to. Martin Saunders, Chief Executive Officer of the CAB, said the city had a disproportionately high number of rough sleepers.
He said Worcester has a very serious problem with single homelessness. The problem has been around for a long time. Rough sleeping is a visible side of that. Mr Saunders said that many people are in insecure housing, such as hostels, a friend's home or other types of temporary accommodation. Mr Corbyn also backed plans for a new mosque in Worcester during his visit to the city. He denounced the English Defence League for marching against the proposed mosque in Stanley Road, Worcester last year. Speaking about Worcester's new mosque, Mr Corbyn said, I think everyone should be able to worship in the way that they wish. The Muslim community want to build a mosque and that's fine and when it's built I look forward to visiting it with Lynn Denham, Worcester's candidate. The EDL's views are not welcome, the EDL's behaviour is not welcome and they have no solution to anything. The solution to people's problems are decent wages, decent housing and decent jobs. Mr Corbyn also offered reassurances to local farmers who are concerned about losing access to the seasonal labourers from the EU after Brexit. Our farming industry requires and relies on skilled work. Some of that work comes from Eastern Europe who come and deal with fruit and vegetables, Mr Corbyn said. There has to be an arrangement where those workers can continue to come and we would make sure that there is. Last summer's Worcester Stands Tall WST Giraffe R Trail provided a boost of more than £800,000 to the city. Studies by MEL Research funded by Worcester Bid revealed WST app users alone spent £104,200 to £156,000 in the city during the trail which ran from July to September 18. Footfall figures from Crowngate Shopping Centre and the Tourist Information Centre reveal an increase of 44% compared to the same period in 2017 and based on average spend, this could have contributed a boost of up to £846,000. Meanwhile, a net profit of £233,000 was raised for the Hospices Build 2020 appeal, a project which will create savings for the county's health economy. Tricia Cavell, Hospice Fundraising Director, said we're thrilled to see how much value our lovely giraffes brought to the city last summer. We already knew the sculptures were very well loved by the community here in Worcester, but to understand the level of positive impact the trail had on areas such as the city's economy and tourism is just fantastic. It's wonderful to know the trail brought so much to the city as a whole while being of phenomenal support to our own fundraising. Thank you to everyone who supported Worcester Stands Tall. The survey also showed 99% of app users rated the trail positively and 71% explored parts of the city they wouldn't normally have visited. In addition, a total of 99% of those responding to a survey of city businesses said the trail had a positive impact on their revenues. Other findings from the evaluation research included a total of 5,210 people downloaded and paid for the WST app, 
More than 14,000 paper trail maps were collected from outlets across the city. 64% of app users said WST created a greater sense of community. More than half app users, 54%, said WST influenced their decision to visit Worcester. 79% of app users spent £30 or more during their WST visit. Half of design submissions by artists were from Worcestershire or the surrounding area, while a third of the final giraffes were decorated by county artists. The WST auction at DRP Group in October 2018 saw 31 sculptures sold for a total of £210,400. This followed the 10-week trail featuring 57 giraffes from July to September. WST was a wild-in-art project brought to the city by St. Richard's Hospice. The trail was supported by presenting partners Worcestershire Ambassadors and Crowngate Shopping Centre, education partner West Midland Safari Park and media partners Free Radio and Worcester News. St Richard's is an independent charity and relies on donations for three quarters of its annual £8.8 million income with the remainder from the NHS. St. Richard's is also raising funds for the Bill 2020 appeal to build a bigger hospice, enabling more patients and families to be cared for in Worcestershire. The total cost for expanding and redeveloping the existing building in Wildwood Drive, Worcester, is £5.3 million. Philip Sawyer, who has died at the age of 85, was the chartered surveyor who found the site for a new home for Worcester Rugby Club, which is now developed into the multi-million pound six-way stadium, headquarters of Premiership side Worcester Warriors. It was in the early 1970s, with WRC outgrowing its ground at Beverley, that Mr Sawyer and another club stalwart, Ted Burnham, chartered a plane from Staverton Airfield near Cheltenham and flew over the Worcester area looking for suitable locations. They identified land by the M5 junction at Warnden and Mr Sawyer secured planning consent for six ways and also for residential development of the site at Beverley, which helped fund the move. This, I venture to suggest, paved the way for much of what was to follow for Worcester Rugby Club, lawyer and long-time friend Bill Stallard told a packed congregation at Mr Sawyer's funeral at St Andrew's Church, Ombersley. He added, Seldom in a lifetime does one witness such a model of bravery, fortitude, patience and perseverance as that displayed by Philip. For nearly four years after a devastating diagnosis of motor neurone disease, he exemplified those fine and precious qualities in the face of manifest decline and a full awareness of what awaited him. There was no self-pity nor recrimination. His sense of humour and zest for life remained undiminished to the end. Indeed, in his later years, Mr Sawyer used motorised wheelchairs to continue a favourite pastime of bowls. He was educated at Worcester Royal Grammar School, where he was later to be Chairman of Governors for 21 years, and after national service in the Royal Engineers, qualified as a chartered surveyor with land agents Dorbar and Map in Worcester. In 1961, he opened a Worcester office for G. Herbert Banks, which later became Banks and Silvers. Mr Stallard said, 
Philip Sawyer was to emerge as one of the preeminent specialists in town and country planning, valuation and compensation work, and was in my own experience over a period of 45 years a professional without parallel in his fields. Among his many achievements, Mr Sawyer was Honorary Secretary for the 1960 and 1963 Worcester Three Choirs Festivals, President of Worcester Chamber of Commerce, a past High Master of the Clothiers Company, <coughs> sailed with the Sea Scouts and Coxed Worcester Rowing Club boats in regattas. He played for Worcester Rugby Club Second Eleven, was a club joint honorary tre- secretary and one of those who dug out the foundations for the clubhouse at Beverley. His legacy to the Royal Grammar School, where he was also chairman of the Six Masters Charity, was recognised by the naming of the school's new library as the Philip Sawyer Library. One of the school's rowing boats also bears his name. Three years ago, Mr Sawyer was awarded the British Empire Medal for services to charity and the community. Mr Stallard added he was taken by surprise by what to him was some unexpected official endorsement. But then Philip Sawyer was one of the most talented people I have ever met and also one of the most self-effacing. Mr Sawyer leaves a widow, Sheila, to whom he was married for 62 years and four children and eight grandchildren. And that nearly brings us to the end of uh, this week. Uh, Lighting up time is 17.19 to 7.26 a.m. Birthdays, I hope Sonia Duggan had a wonderful birthday on the 9th and Hilda Guise on the 12th and Malcolm Burke, who will be celebrating on the 22nd of this month. Many happy returns to you all. Um, donations uh, very kindly have been received from Ethel Gaylord, and that was last week, and I'm sorry we didn't announce it then, but many thanks, Ethel. Um, Listeners are kindly reminded to return memory sticks promptly to facilitate a smooth operation and use of resources. As from now, you will only receive two weeks of recordings. If neither of these are returned, you will not receive further recordings. If you are unwell or have a problem, please ring us on 01905 767766 and leave a message. The emergency phone number for out-of-hours medical assistance from 6pm to 8pm is 0300-123-3211 and the NHS number for non-emergency help is 111. Malvern Theatre's telephone number is 01684. 892277. Worcester Live is 611429, which covers the Swan and Huntington Hall. Worcester Hub number for council matters is 765765 or 722233. Crime Stoppers telephone number is 0800555111. Our telephone number, as uh, stated earlier, is 01905. 767766 and our address is 11 Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. Um, our website address is www.worcestertalkingnews.org.uk on which you can find all the recordings of the weekly news and monthly magazines and much more. We greatly value your feedback, likes and dislikes or changes you might like to make. Just let us know either by phone or pop a note into your envelopes. We'd love to hear from you. 
and a happy Valentine's Day. I hope you've all had today and good night from all of us. Thank you.